Welcome to Iridescence, a movie review podcast hosted by two current UCLA undergrads who share a passion for storytelling. I'm Raylene. And I'm Jeremy. And on this episode, we'll be discussing Invincible. Some topics we discuss are Raylene's obsession with Steven Yin, how the show compares to other content in the superhero genre, and the show's unique take on the father-son trope. Let's get into it. 17-year-old Mark Grayson is just like every guy his age, except that his father is Omni-Man, the most powerful superhero on the planet. As Mark discusses develops powers of his own, he discovers his father's legacy may not be as heroic as it seems. Also, before we start, this is definitely going to have spoilers in it. So if you haven't watched the show, don't listen. (laughs) Okay, we'll start with general thoughts. Jeremy? Yeah, um, and speaking on that, like, I'm pretty sure you guys have seen it if you're listening to this because we have like no viewers anyway. So anyone who's seen it has seen the show. Real viewers, listeners. Yeah, yeah. To To the real viewers, the real ones who are listening. What's interesting is this show is from the same creator as The Walking Dead, whose name is Robert Kirkman, which obviously you could see that Steven Yeun connection being that he was on both shows, although he's in a more prominent leading role in this show. And the way that the film started with having superheroes that have their own agendas and own morals that might not necessarily align with what we normally see in let's say marvel films i thought it was definitely going the same direction as another amazon studios superhero intellectual property which is the boys but through its portrayal of growing up in high school and that father-son dynamic that i mentioned earlier i feel like this show really separated itself from following the same story arc that the boys did for the betterment of the story because the direction that this show takes is absolutely incredible. Definitely didn't see it coming and I'll be talking about it later, but really liked what they did with the show. I agree with all of that. I thought they did a really unique take on even like portraying the high schoolers. I thought it seemed very like natural. It gave, it was giving euphoria vibes for me. If you've watched Euphoria, you see the portrayal of high school isn't as picturesque as it's usually portrayed. And I thought that was really cool to see as well as we'll talk about this later too, but just like the diversity of the the cast, the characters, it wasn't really focused on, which is cool. You know, it was cool to see a superhero show that had tons of diverse characters, but it wasn't a big thing. Like a lot of shows kind of make it. Um, We'll discuss that later. And like Jeremy said, the twists and turns are absolutely crazy. It just made it so exciting to watch because I wasn't really hooked on it until, well, I I got hooked on it after I watched the first episode because there's like the biggest plot twist of like the century. (laughs) And it was like, and then I just sped through the rest of it because it was just so good. I guess we can move on to our next section, which is the cinematography and aesthetic. I thought that the look was basically like Adult Swim, if you guys have ever seen their content. And at first, that was to the detriment of the show. I was like, in the first five minutes when they're at the White House and it's the security guards talking, I'm like, what is this? It's so boring. I don't get the hype. And then the and then I get more into the first episode, like midway with the fighting scenes. So I'm like, okay, I can kind of see the hype. By the end of the episode, 
with the scene that Ray mentioned, I was like, I'm in on the hype. <laughs> like, I need to watch the rest of this show right now. I normally have the self-control to uh, not binge shows, but this show is just too good. I was able to finish it. I think in like, if not two days, it was three days. But yeah, I think it's not like the best animated looking film ever, but it does its job. It does its purpose. I agree. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed with the choppiness of it because I'm used to watching like Attack on Titan level shit. <laughs> and if you've seen Attack on Titan or any other animes that really, they're just animation over there is incredible compared to American cartoons, even just in general. So I was a little disappointed with it, but at the same time, it kind of was giving me old school, just early 2000s, like animated superhero series, which probably I'm guessing it was a choice. I'm guessing it was a choice to not make it like that super high quality one kind of to, cause since the comic came out in the early 2000s, it was or early 2000s, late nineties, I believe it, it, I guess it kind of makes sense that it would have that style. And it just, it definitely, you can definitely see, like, I'm sure they took stills directly and frames directly from the comics because it seemed like that style. So I, I mean, I would say, I guess I'm a fan of it in that way, but like compared to like other really high action animated shows I was just kind of like it's really choppy but it doesn't really once you get past the first episode you're used to watching it it doesn't really like it's not really detrimental and I think the plot and the writing really speaks for itself over any of that yeah like the first episode I was definitely noticing it but as the season progressed I just got so engrossed into the story that I completely forgot about like the choppiness at all. But our next topic is on characters and we'll start off with the character Mark Grayson, which is portrayed by uh, Steven Yeun that Ray has a deep love for. Go, Ray. <laughs> Gosh, always outing me on these podcasts. Yeah, Steven Yeun, I've been a fan of him for years and years. And I guess this is a perfect time to do a comparative analysis of his characters on The Walking Dead and on Invincible because The Walking Dead was made by Robert Kirkland, like Jeremy mentioned before. So I'm sure that's why he brought him on for this project as well. And I think they have a very similar character arc and growth when you look at it, Glenn was like that dorky kid, like literally actually very similar. Glenn was the dorky pizza delivery guy. He turned into this super badass, like sex symbol. And, well, I don't know about sex symbol and invincible because it's an underage kid, but <laughs> he turned into this badass. That's not just from me. That's from like the internet too. So I'm not just, I'm not just spewing nonsense. You, you, you know, Jeremy, you know, the whole internet thirst after Steven Yeun, not just me, but <laughs> in invincible Mark turns from this little kid who doesn't have his powers and he gets like beat up by the bully in school to the guy who's like standing up for the people and defending people who are helpless. And he has a really good heart. He's very chivalrous and it very much gave me Glenn vibes. Like they went through that same character arc and growth already and Invincible hasn't even gone past one season, but I can see like that's the way it's going. I think Steven Young does a great job of, of doing that because I feel like just in general as a per, I mean, not that I know him, but from his interviews and from the characters he portrays, a lot of them, well, except for Burning and for, okay, sorry to bother you, but I think Glenn, particularly, he was stuck with Glenn as a character for years and years. He just got really good at doing that same kind of character, that vibe. So it kind of translates really well into his, his role in Invincible. And his voice acting is amazing. And he's actually voice acted in a lot of different things. Besides being in The Walking Dead, he's voice acted in Voltron. I think he's a main character in that series, which is pretty popular. And a lot of other like animated series like Legend of Korra too. 
So he's a very seasoned and really great voice actor. Like I remember there are moments when I would just be like, the voice acting is so good. Like, I think I'm excited to see how they take it and if it'll be different than usual, just like straight character arcs, seeing like the twists and turns the other characters took. This is just a random thought, but I really noticed when Steven Yoon did like a voice crack. I was like, <laughs> I found that so funny. But the next character that we wanted to talk about is basically the antagonist of this show, even though we don't know that until like later on. And this is the big reveal, but everyone thought that Omni-Man was the world's greatest protector as a superhero. But we learned that in reality, he is the world's greatest conqueror. And he comes from a species that lives to conquer others. Literally, they have like a Hunger Games just kill each other to have Darwin's survival of the fittest, the best of the best of the species live. And then once they have the cream of the crop, send one other species to every planet to conquer it. And that explained a lot because when Mark Grayson gets his powers, his dad, Omni-Man, seems almost like mad that he got his powers when in theory you should be happy because now you could bond with your son over that. But what we learn is like, because now uh, his father, Omni-Man, has to decide like, does he want to conquer his son in taking over Earth? And if not, is he going to be able to convince his son to align more with his supernatural species rather than his human species. And that is something that's explored in the later episodes of the film when he tries to convince Mark Grayson to abandon Earth because all of them will die long, long before he does because given his super blood, he will live long after anyone that he meets. And there's like this really touching dialogue when his dad asks him, what will you have after all these years? And he says, I'll have you. And I was like, dang, Robert Kirkman, good job. That was good dialogue. Yep. Yeah, but that's that's on specific scenes that we'll talk about later. Were there any other characters that we wanted to talk about? Or do you think those two were the most important and we can move on? I think it's notable to talk about some of the side characters. I think they have a lot of really interesting side characters and you think it's going to be the usual superhero tropes, but I think a lot of the characters go against the superhero tropes. Like we see uh, Rex, he's like the complete opposite of what you think a superhero would be. He's like an asshole. He cheats on his girlfriend. He's just such like a dick and he's full of himself. And we have a bit of that in Tony Stark, I say, but he kind of has an, that snarkiness that still makes him likable. But this guy is just like downright, just annoying as hell. And I think that's supposed to be probably like, I think a lot of these characters are supposed to be kind of mocking these perfect superhero figures that, you know, are usual in comics. They want to flip that and like point out that they'd probably have all these flaws if they were superheroes in real life. And that's what I really like about it. Same with Beast Girl and like the girl that ages, oh, Beast Girl's the one that ages backwards. Like you wouldn't think about that. You think that, character is goaded but like you would think the Hulk is goaded but she has this really part of her power that puts her in a really vulnerable position and uh it just shows that things can't be superhuman without this like payoff these other things so yeah I think it's really interesting 
thing that's explored with a lot of the side characters. Yeah, and speaking on how the side characters were subverting conventional expectation, I really liked how Mark Grayson's love interest, Amber, when she is told by Mark Grayson that he's invincible, rather than being like, oh, you're forgiven for always flaking and for never being there on time. Instead, she subverts that trope and says, I knew you were invincible all along, but I wanted you to tell me because I want communication. And I thought that was a really cool decision to make by the writers because as we've seen in previous films, like I guess Spider-Man, when Peter Parker reveals himself to Mary Jane, then she's like, oh, okay, I understand what you go through all is forgiven. But Amber's like, no, like, I just wanted you to be real with me and be honest with me because that's what I value most in a relationship. And that's something that um, viewers can learn from even though they're not a superhero. So true. And also I think the relationship between, oh, the mom, why aren't we talking about the mom? Mark Grayson's mom, Miss Sandra, played by Miss Sandra Oh, who's wonderful. Such an interesting character. I feel like I've never, you never really think about the spouse of superheroes like in for example, Hawkeye, he has a wife and kids, but we don't really get to know much about her, except she's just an accessory kind of character. She's just there to add the backstory that he has a family and a wife that he has to get home to, but there's not much substance. So I thought it was interesting to see the mom play a huge part. She's actually a big integral character in the story. She's really involved in his life. She's involved in the plot. She's the one that first figures out and helps you know, the government agents figure out that Omni-Man was the one who killed the rest of the superhero squad and she has this huge dilemma like moral dilemma like and it's it's just a really crazy and oh the way that Omni-Man calls her a pet was just one of the best lines in the show too it was just such a punch in the gut so heart-wrenching like the writing in that scene and all the other scenes is just crazy in the way and also the writing and the fight between them is crazy like and I really thought he was going to kill her but I really like to see the conflict in him. You would think he would just kill her, but then you really see the conflict between him because he, I think he, I believe he truly does love her, but not in the way that she thinks. Like he said, she's like a pet to him, but at the same time, she doesn't want to kill him. So it's just, I love their dynamic. I love the um, Mark's mom and his dynamic. And I just love the role that she plays in the series as well. And like her backstory and her substance and her conflict. Yeah, definitely resonate with, um, all of that. The next category that we'll talk about is favorite scene. Mine's far and away is when Omni-Man is trying to convince Mark that nothing on earth matters because they live long after anyone or anything that breathes. And to prove this point, he uses Mark to plow through a train and you, the camera does not pan away. You get to see all the blood and the gore and the guts as his invincible body rips through these mortal human uh, beings until they're like unrecognizable shapes and forms. And I was like, so in shock. But then after it, I was like, yes, <laughs> that, was, that was so good. And I think that's a huge testament, not only to the writers, but also um, the voice actors. Ray mentioned Steven Yeun and his voice acting, but I thought that J.K. Simmons stole the show in terms of his portrayal of his character. He totally brought his whiplash energy to this to this character. And honestly, like whoever casted him, 
perfect, perfect cast. You should be promoted, get a raise, because I don't think there's anyone in the world, at least that I can think of, that could have played Omni-Man better than J.K. Simmons. I agree. That was definitely my favorite scene. Well, sequence of scenes, I guess you could call it, scene. That whole sequence just where Omni-Man is flying him around the world and showing him about how meaningless, quote unquote, life is and humans are. And specifically, I really love the scene where Mark is trying to convince his dad that his life and his mom's life do matter. And then he has a flashback, Omni-Man has a flashback to a baseball game. And the dialogue was beautiful. I, I loved the dialogue for that, but uh, he scores a home run and then his mom and dad are watching him. And Omni-Man's like kind of annoyed at first. He's like, oh, why am I here? This is so useless. I could be doing something better in my time. And then she's like, look at what Mark is feeling. Look at what he's experiencing. And we get to experience these emotions with him and experience these different moments with him. And that's like the beauty of life, basically. Said a lot more eloquently than how I just worded it. But it was so beautiful. And you see like, as Mark is like running to hit the bases, you see Omni-Man getting more into it and cheering more. And, and then Mark, he comes and raises Mark on his shoulders. And the way it's shot is, is beautiful as well. He has a flashback to that. And I just, I just got chills talking about it. But that was just such a cool scene for me. Everything just fit together so well. And it's just like such a beautiful scene. It kind of gave me soul vibes, I guess, kind of, because it was thinking about those little moments and thinking about how beautiful life is. It really resonated just with me and also just gave me flashbacks to soul. But great scene, wonderfully written. And then obviously when Mark says, when everything's gone, I'll have you, dad, it kind of brings it all home and makes it just such a powerful and impactful mm. scene and mm. even young delivery of that line itself was yeah. so yeah. good <laughs> oh my god yeah. with the iconic voice cracking in there yeah yes, iconic <laughs> voice cracks are definitely just they just like make it you know and same with yeah jk simmons delivery in that whole scene incredible the way they mm -hmm. play off each other yeah but that was my favorite scene jeremy mm -hmm. you have more to add um i mean not really, I guess. In the soul comparison, obviously the plot is extremely different, but I could see the parallel in the theme of like, appreciate what you have and like living in the now. And that's a good segue into our next category, which is theme. And for me, I thought the theme was everyone has their secrets. In the end, it's best to share those secrets with your loved ones rather than deal with it on your own because all that can lead to is a detrimental outcome, like a ticking time bomb. The longer you try to hide something, then the bigger the explosion once everyone finds out. Another theme that they explore is what do you value in life? Who do you align yourself with? And that's really shown through Mark Grayson because I don't know if this is intentional or not, but him being like half human and then half the Omni-Man species could be a commentary on like being, you know, like biracial or something like that. And say if you're like white and black, and then obviously we know in history how blacks have been oppressed by white people. So it's like, do you want to be on the side of the, the oppressor where like life is a lot easier or are you willing to like endure a lot of pain and suffering? But stay with your moral code and be with the press. Maybe that's not what he was intending, but that could be something that you could read on it. But yeah, what did you think on the theme? I agree with a lot of that. I also agree with, I think that the part at the end was appreciating what you have, like Jeremy said. And also I think that whole scene kind of made clear to me that like, yes, life is fleeting and maybe it is meaningless, but 
at the same time, there's beauty in like that meaningless and there's beauty in finding meaning in those tiny moments in your life and those feelings that you feel with people. So I thought that was a good theme for that episode because I was looking at it, I was like, dang, people do die so easily, but it's, that's what makes life beautiful. It's like, you don't know. Well, you don't know when, what moment could be your last. So, you know, yeah, cheesy. But I also think there is a lot about good relationship advice. Yeah. It's like Jeremy said, like having that open communication and also just knowing, just not trusting people. That's a bad thing, but being careful about who you trust and who you open your heart to and who you bring down your walls for, because at the end of the day, you can only rely on yourself. Really? That sounds sad, but you have to make sure that you are trusting the right people with the right information and just with the right things. So being cautious of that, I feel like that was a big theme because there's a lot of betrayal and there's a lot of backstabbing and all of that. So, and it's because people were vulnerable and let their walls down. But at the same mm-hmm. time, there's a lot of beautiful things that come yeah. from your walls down. Yeah. All of that. So like, Trusting the right people can lead to great things. Trusting the wrong people can lead yeah. to great things. Yeah. And I want to go back to your point on how life is fleeting, but you could find the beauty. So there's a spoiler about The Good Place, but at the end of The Good Place, you learn that eternity isn't blissful because eventually you get to a point where you've done everything that you want and then now you're just bored. So I think the theme of that kind of relates to this show in that because life is fleeting, then you want to make the most of it and be able to enjoy the little things. So that's why it was so emotionally resonating when Omni-Man used Mark Grayson to take that opportunity away from so many people. That was a masterclass in having a scene that wasn't violence just for violence, but it was violence for character development that advance the plot because a lot of times in action movies it's just like ooh action gore really really cool to see spectacle but this one was like it advanced the heart of the story but we could talk to we could talk about our next category now which is relevance to our lives i think in oversaturated market of the superhero genre this was a much needed addition in subverting a lot of tropes like we mentioned before and telling a story from a unique lens that you rarely see in superhero films because usually there's that happy ending and all the superheroes are good, it's very black and white. But this film, a lot of the characters are gray and you even see Omni-Man show some of that gray at the end when because of that conversation that he had with Mark Grayson, he actually shows restraint and hesitation and doesn't have this blood-curling desire to conquer Earth and kill everyone in his path like everyone else in his species does. And maybe that's something that the writer is intentionally commentating on, which is like, if you really get to know humans at the core, you can find something endearing about them and want to root for them. Yeah, super interested in seeing how the show will explore these themes because I know Amazon Studios with the success of the show has greenlit season two and season three. Obviously, being that it is based on a comic book, we could just like spoil it for ourselves and read through it, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to wait and see where the show goes. Yeah, I like to build off what you said earlier about violence just for violence. I think this show brought down to earth a lot of those silly, not silly, but a lot of the unrealistic parts of superhero movies. It subverted a lot of those tropes because a lot of them are unrealistic. It's fun 
to have an unrealistic movie and it's fun to have like that escapism from the real world in like Marvel movies or you know DC movies and have these perfect characters but at the same time it's interesting to see characters and superheroes with these real traits and also I'm always thinking about in Marvel they like I think it's only like a few times they mention like the damage they cause to like the world but this was definitely a, I feel like a commentary on that like just showing how much damage that the superheroes do to the world they like I feel like they mentioned that in every episode they and they, they don't hesitate to show the gore like you said before and Marvel I don't think has any blood in it like I've never seen blood or or guts or anything when in reality that would probably be the case. I really enjoyed how it uses violence to kind of poke at the lack of violence slash gore in Marvel movies, I guess, and also does usually advance the plot the way they use it, like in that last scene. With all of the themes, like you can definitely take a lot from this movie, this series, just by comparing it to the superhero lexicon and other Marvel movies, you can take a lot from those comparisons and what is contrasted in them. But yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I had a point to make also about uh, the cast being diverse, the characters being diverse. I thought it was really cool to just see a group of people coming from all different backgrounds. Like Mark is half Asian. There's different, just characters have different backgrounds and they don't make it a big deal. It's just a movie about that. And uh, there was an interesting conversation we had during a film panel. I moderated the other day where we were talking about there should be movies that aren't just about trauma and struggle when there's diverse people like I know the specifically well actually just whenever there's a movie that's all played by a cast of minorities it's usually a trauma a trauma a traumatic movie about the struggle and while it's important that those movies are made it's important for people of color to see themselves in happy and in roles that are just normal like as superheroes as regular people enjoying life not just struggling all the time because that's people have gone through enough people have gone through enough trauma BIPOC communities have gone through enough trauma and I thought it was cool and also like in comparison to High School Musical the musical the series that's a mouthful but they have a diverse cast but they make it all about that and it really pisses me off especially in this second season, if anyone has seen it, they're like, there's this one character who's Mexican and gay. And he literally says, I'm Mexican and gay. And I'm just like- Cringe, cringe. cringe. <laughs> Horrible writing. And they really make it super apparent that they're diverse, basically. Like it's yeah. really being like, we're yeah. diverse, but they really like yeah. punch it into their face. And it's so annoying. And I'm just like, we get it. You know, we get mm -hmm. it's diverse. So- mm -hmm. I like how they don't do that. They just don't make a big deal out of the fact that Mark is half Asian at all. They don't make a big deal out of any of the characters are different races or different sexualities or anything. So yeah. Yeah, because even though these things are important, we're like more than these uh, like cultures that we embody. I know that's something that Stephen Yeun has talked about in the past where he just want, doesn't want to be typecast as like that actor. And I think especially with I saw like in 2050, America will be a majority minority where there'll be more minorities than white people. There's like so many different subsects of that minority. We aren't a monolith and there's so much diversity within diversity. So yeah, it'd be awesome to see these stories that don't follow these conventional tropes that we always see, but tell stories that we haven't seen on the screen because that's really important to be able to see your lived experience on screen 
like it never has been before. And I think we can move on to rating now. Everything that I mentioned before is whether it be the writing, uh, the themes, the amazing voice actors, it's subversion of superhero genres and expectations. I would give this film, or not a film, <laughs> I'd give this because it's our first TV series, but I would give this TV series a 10 out of 10. And it's like a firm 10 out of 10. It's not like mm, maybe a nine, but I'll give it a 10. Like, this was something special. Super looking forward to season two and three. Yeah, I won't repeat what Jeremy said, but because of everything he said, I also would rate it a 10 out of 10. When I first watched the first episode, I was hooked after that. And then I just watched the rest of it so quickly. And I'm very sad that it's over and I'm having withdrawals. And I cannot wait for the next few episodes. And even though I want to note, the episodes are like 30 minutes to like 50 I think it's they're pretty long or 45 to like an hour but it really does not feel like that it really keeps you hooked in and engrossed in the story just because it's that good so when it's that good that you can just watch eight hours of it like in a row like you know it's really good so very excited for seasons two and three so happy it got greenlit literally was like screaming when I saw that and also want to note their twitter is hilarious whoever's running their twitter needs a raise because it's just so funny and it matches like the tone of the show. It's great marketing. And if you don't follow their Twitter and you like the show, you should follow their Twitter because they have a lot of really good memes and they're great. I want that job. I want it. That concludes our podcast on Invincible. If you have any friends who you think would like the show, share with them. If you're interested in learning more about our work, please listen to our other podcasts on Spotify. Follow our social media account at Iridescence Podcast. And tune in in two weeks when we will be discussing the greatest comedian in the history of humankind, Bo Burnham, as he has released his new comedy special, Inside, which was completely shot, directed, acted, edited, and planned all by himself in his room with no one else. It is the experience of a lifetime. I have so much to say about it, but you'll have to wait for two weeks for me to talk about it. I think, hi for Jeremy to fanboy over someone. He's basic. like, I know I'm not, you're not supposed to like idolize people and have gods, but he's like, oh my gosh, he is so, he's not human. Okay, but anyways, goodbye for now and thank you for listening.